All right, if you got a Bible, Daniel chapter 3 is where we're going to be at. I want to preach to you a message today I'm calling Separation Anxiety. Look at your neighbor and say, take a chill pill. You got to say it like that. Roll your eyes at them. Like, take a chill pill. I don't know if you've been in a situation before where the, somebody came up to you and was like, sir or ma'am, I'm going to need you to calm down. Like, I don't know if somebody has said that to you. Maybe in your apartment, you're fine, but out in public, you get weird. What's weird? Dizzy spells, nausea, cold sweats, hot sweats, fever, blisters, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, blurred vision, involuntary trembling, dead hands, numb lips, fingernail sensitivity. What are you afraid of? What if my my heart stops beating? What if I need to find a bathroom. I can't find one. My bladder explodes. <laughs> Solid What About Bob reference. If y'all haven't seen that, you need to tighten up. But uh, you might not be as bad as Bob Wiley when it comes to anxiety, but I think we have something that makes us all anxious. Chapman University actually confirms this because they did a study last year that showed Americans have anxiety over a whole host of subjects. Some of the top anxiety-inducing events, I wrote these down, public speaking. Uh, If I asked some of you to come up and give the message today, you would literally just die. Like, I mean, you'd go meet your maker because public speaking, that's nerve. Political corruption. Uh Uh-oh. Terrorism. People we love dying. That's, that causes anxiety. I found these three on the list. Very curious. Zombies, clowns, and artificial intelligence. What? What if we had a zombie clown robot? Like, that would jack some people up. Not even Will Smith could help us out with that, but uh, I bring up this subject because at its heart, anxiety is a battle with irrational thoughts. That's what neuroscientists say anxiety is. And the reason it's a big deal is because researchers say anxiety in America specifically has already increased 40% in this year alone, which means any number of you in here right now are battling with irrational thoughts. You're struggling with anxiety. You need to know that that is not God's best for you. God's best is not for you to have anxiety or think irrationally. Jot this down if you're taking notes. The only way to cure irrational thoughts is to understand our rational God. It's my entire sermon in one sentence. There you go. You're welcome. The only way to cure irrational thoughts is to understand our rational God. We serve a rational God. See, here's what you have to understand. The primary reason that anxiety in America is increasing, it's up 40% already. The primary reason statistically, any number of you in here right now are battling irrational thoughts, you're struggling with anxiety, is because our culture's motivation for anything is fear. You think about it. You need this car because it's an IIHS top safety pick. Your kids need to be in this school because if they get into this school, then they will get into this college, which will lead to this job, which will lead to this amount of money. And only this you know, amount of money is going to make them happy. And so you better get them into that college. And in order to pay for that college, they're going to have to be in sports because they need the athletic scholarship. And if 
they're going to be happy in sports, then they need to play in the summertime. That's the only way they're going to get in any better and get that full ride scholarship. Do you want your kids to be unhappy and poor? Because that's what happens if they don't play basketball and football and are in band and get in karate and speak multiple language. And, you know, you're a horrible parent because are they drinking milk? Like, like from a cow? You're not drinking almond milk? Like how dare, are you a barbarian? You know? I mean, did you just feed your kid Doritos? You, you realize that cheese powder on Doritos causes finger cancer. Like, I mean, that the cheese powder, the, the same stuff they make tires out of. You know, you, to, have you ever tried to button your pants without fingers? This is what this is where you're leading your children to. You see what I'm saying? Fear mongering. Everything is based on stocks. You better get into gold, right? Donald Trump is the Antichrist. There's bots on the internet. The hackers are going to steal the entire banks. That's, this is where the future is headed. No wonder everybody is anxious with everything. Maybe I should have passed out brown paper sacks on the way to everybody on the way. I was a little nervous with it being Father's Day, and if you left with the sack and your pop bottle, I thought it might be curious to people, but what, you know. How, you, we just have to take a deep breath, understand fear is not God's motivation to do anything. We serve a rational God. His primary tactic in motivating you to do the things that He's asked you to do is all about love. So if you're having irrational thoughts, if you're battling anxiety, those things are not coming from God. The best news I can give you this morning is that our reasonable, sane, and balanced God has given us a book, the Bible, that can help guide us through any situation in life. One of his authors, Daniel, wrote an incredibly practical manual to encourage us on this journey. A couple quick notes before we read Daniel chapter 3. First of all, Daniel and his three friends have been taken captive out of Israel. They were uh, forced into uh, uh, studying uh, the occult and magic. A, a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar went in and, and conquered Israel, and he took them all back to Babylon. They've been in this intensive three-year study program, and the king has now employed them in his kingdom. Now, you need to know, King Nebuchadnezzar is not a very good guy to work for. Not only did he abduct Daniel and his friends, among other people, from Israel to Babylon, he's also forced them to learn his language. He's forced them to learn his customs. He's castrated them. He's threatened them uh, and to kill them by letting horses rip off their arms and legs, and then he was going to burn down their house just to really drive this point home. We have a story in Scripture about Nebuchadnezzar who uh, conquers a king, and in front of this king, he kills the king's family, his wife, his children. Then he plucks out the king's eyes, so the last thing this man saw was his wife and children being killed. And then he took that man and put him in prison uh, for the rest of his life. That's, I don't know what your boss is like, but I'm guessing you've not had to deal with any of that before. So those TPS reports you have to file suddenly, that's not as bad. You know what I'm saying? So uh, let's go. Daniel chapter 3 before I get off on an office space rant. 
King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Pause. Why did he do that? A 90-foot statue, gold. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know what would look good? Me, 90 feet tall in gold. Maybe you've thought that, but have you actually built that? No. So why did King Nebuchadnezzar do that? It's uh, worth pointing out in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. The dream essentially was a, about a statue, the gold head, and then there was a iron and bronze and silver and clay. And uh, the whole point of the dream was that Jesus shows up, the cornerstone of stone, and he breaks up the statue. You need to know that all of this actually came true in humanity with all the different kingdoms inferior to the one before it. But Daniel uh, interpreted the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, and he told him, hey, you're the face of gold. You're the gold on the statue. You. That's all Nebuchadnezzar heard. He's like, I'm, I'm gold. You're right, I'm gold. And 16 years later, he built, he's like, I'm not just a head of gold. Like, I'm, I'm gold everywhere, son. You know, I'm like 90 feet of it. And so he built the entire golden statue. Uh, then he sent messengers, uh, messages to the high of officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came, stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever the race, nation, or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Tattletales. You see what I'm saying? Snitches get stitches. That's why I tell my kids, you don't need to, I don't need to hear about any of that. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when you hear the sound of the horn flute, zither, lyre, harp, harps, and other musical instruments. For the record, I wanted to zither here this morning. We had no idea what that was, me or Shelby, so we couldn't figure it out. Uh, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods. Do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down, worship the statue I've made. Fear. One more chance when you hear the sound of musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Oh, you're about to find out what God is going to rescue you. Pharaoh said a similar thing when he said to Moses, Who is the Lord that I should serve him? He found out, you know, plagues later, who the Lord was, parting of the Red Sea, who the Lord was. My prayer is you don't have to go through all that to find out who the Lord is. Verse 16. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Who do you think did all the talking? It said they replied, but they obviously didn't talk in unison. It really doesn't matter who spoke. What matters is they were all three unified. There's power in a group of people all moving in the same direction. So they decided long before that they went to the king that they weren't going to bow. You know, one is like, hey, you going to bow? No, I ain't bowing, bro. You bow? No, I ain't bowing. We're not bowing, so we're not going to bow. And then they went through. There's positive peer pressure can be a powerful uh, propellant. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. What did that look like? I can't deal with it. I only, what in the world? The Bible's crazy. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. That's hot regardless of the fire. Because the king, in his anger, he demanded such a hot fire in the furnace. The flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. That seems ridiculous. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied, fell into the roaring flames, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement, exclaimed to advisors, yo, did we tie three men up, throw them in the furnace? Yes, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, and the fourth looks like a god. Some of your translations might say it looks like a son of the gods. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. Sunday school answer. Just say that every time. (laughs) Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, service of the Most High God, come out. Isn't it funny that they had to be called out of the fire? They're walking around in there. Like, bro, how many steps you got? I got 2,000, like, four, like, let's just kick it in here with Jesus. This is game time. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the eye officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them, saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Because that's always the worst at a campfire. You know, you get home, you're like, what does that smell? Oh, it's me. Fire. It's terrible. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command, were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Why are we back at that, Nebuchadnezzar? That's always that for you. It's crazy. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to higher positions in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Thank God for his word. God, thank you again. 
for your word. We love you, praise you. We ask that you can do uh, what only you can do in these moments together. Open up our eyes, uh, speak truth into our lives. Let us see what you would have us to see and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So again, notice the motivation for worship is fear. It is not love. It is bow or burn. That's the king's decree. Just so you know, it's the same thing. Your enemy, the devil says, he can't make you love him because he's unlovable, but he will try uh, to make you do things out of fear. Many people have compromised their faith because of fear. In my experience, people say, though, man, I'm so glad, Pastor, we live in America where none of that can happen. You know, we're not forced to worship anything. We don't have to bow down to anything. Uh, have we not just seen pizza parlors and cake companies put out of business because they refuse to serve some clients? Is that not fear-based? Do what we say. I mean, you better bake this cake or we're going to take your house. We're going to take your car. We're going to take all your life savings. We're going to, you know, make sure you never work again. You know, were small business owners not told that they had to pay for an abortion for their employees, even if that was against what they held, you know, in faith? They're fined a million dollars a day because they said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, I read in the news this week, a school teacher somewhere in the South, can't remember where, was fired because he refused to call a student by that student's preferred gender. So not the gender that they were born with, but what they wanted to be called. He refused to do that. He was fired. Are these not fear-based idolatry problems? You better bow before our rules or else. The one thing I know about fear is fear is irrational. Fear uh, is always trying to lie to you, to get you to do things that it wants to accomplish. So in order to overcome our fears, prosper in our culture, which is what this entire series is all about, God working through us into culture because we're blessed to be a blessing. When the city prospers, we prosper. And so this is what the entire point of everything that we're talking about is how do we impact the world around us? Well, how do we do that? You might want to write this down. Christianity is a call to be set apart, not to blend in. Uh, So let's stop being anxious about looking different. Because if we learn anything from the Bible, it's that we're actually supposed to look different. From Daniel and these three men, we've seen specifically how we're supposed to be set apart, not blend in. Now listen, because I know what you're thinking. How do I know what you're thinking? Because I can read minds. No. Uh, Because we have a group of people that come in on Mondays at noon to uh, uh, get a preview of the coming sermon. I want to hear their thoughts. You know, hey, what's missing? What did I, you know, what's confusing? And for the record, anybody's allowed to come to that meetings on on Mondays at noon is BYOB. Bring your own burger or Bible uh, to to participate. But... uh, I, you know, we, we ask, you know, what's going on with the message? And they said, well, pastor, we think this is a little bit confusing because the last couple of weeks you've been talking about how we as Christians were supposed to be uh, involved in the city. We're supposed to be prospering in the city without, without contact. There can be no impact. We learned about how Daniel didn't make a big deal out of things that he didn't like. He only made a big deal out of things God told him. You know, sometimes we confuse sin and what we just don't like. And Daniel didn't make a big deal of that. So which is? it? You know, are we supposed to be set apart or are we supposed to make a difference? And the answer obviously is yes. It's both. We're called to be set apart and similar. We're 
called to be combined and chosen. The single most important point in this entire series is that God God has called us as Christians to live a certain way, but we're not supposed to force that way on anybody else. You know, we don't boycott, we benefit. We don't separate, we sanctify. We redeem what's in culture. It's been said that any dead fish can float downstream. The message of Christianity is that was once us. Just going with the flow, looking like everyone else, punching the time clock, going through the paces. But the moment Jesus Christ awakened us up to the gospel, once we were made alive in the Lord, we quit going through the motions and we started living for more. Preaching a little better than you're responding because this is the greatest news in the history of the world that you're made alive. We're not dead. We're falling again. Yes, so we are with the other fish. We're alongside the other fish. We're just going in the opposite direction. As followers of Christ, we're trying to navigate through the jellies to find the EAC. And, you know, we don't have crush, turtle. We have cry. Am I the only one with kids? I mean, we're following. Okay. Uh, like, this is our life that we we get on board with Christ and then we're going the opposite direction of everybody else we can enjoy different experiences in society but not fall in love with society we can look in the world for for fun and, and enjoyment but we don't have to look like the world we can interact with culture without being infected by culture that's the message this isn't about conforming this is about resurrecting Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. This is the message of the gospel. So our job is not to blend in because we need to show people there's fullness of life in God's commands. You can't look like a dead person when you're alive. And this is what we need to do with Christ in our hearts. The problem is that's super hard. It's hard to swim upstream. You ever tried to swim against the current before? It's very difficult. It's no wonder the uh, Bible compares us to sheep because that's how sheep are. They don't swim upstream. They just want to fit in. They don't want to do what everybody else is doing. They just want to do what only the other sheep are doing. It's kind of interesting because shepherds have recorded stories of entire flocks going off of a cliff because one of the other sheep did it. It's like he wanted a mouthful of grass, but he stumbled and fell and down the cliff and everybody's like, hey, let's go off the cliff. You know, and they just all jump off and die. They're literally stupidest animal alive. Uh, dumbest on the planet. Wait, Pastor, did you just call me dumb? Because you just said, the Bi- no, I didn't. The Bible did. Okay, that's not me. I'm just bound by the book to tell you what it says. No, what I'm trying, not really, what I'm trying to say is we don't need to just break free from the crowd and follow the other sheep. It's about following the good shepherd. Jesus said that if you are really one of his sheep, you'll know his voice. You'll do what he has asked. He writes in John, if you, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You see, there's one thing in this world that gives gets you to that fullness of life. 
It's Jesus. And he said there are things in this world that God has asked you to to abstain from and and not participate in. And uh, you need to look different from others so that you can point them to this fullness of life. That's why he created books of the Bible and gave rules like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. God says, hey, follow these rules because my way is better than the world's way. The reason God wants you to look different than the world is so that the world can realize there's more than what's being offered to you. The world is trying to lie to you. Fullness of life is only found in Christ. Uh, The world wants you to believe God's trying to keep something from you. It's fear-based motivation. Like, you should be afraid because God's holding out on you. You need to accomplish and do all of these things. This is probably most clearly articulated around the idea of sex. Oxford University Press conducted an interesting study a few years ago. It's called Premarital Sex in America. You can find it online. The premise of the entire series is that these researchers uh, took a whole bunch of men, unmarried, college-educated, age 18 to 23, and they separated them into two groups. Uh, Group one is men who were grown up, raised, taught that the idea of premarital sex is wrong. You shouldn't do that. It's, uh, I'll talk about that more in a second. The, the other group is like, no, you can do whatever you want. I mean, it's your body. Just, you know, if you want to have sex, go have sex. You just do uh, what you want. And what the researchers wanted to do is uh, try and figure out uh, convictions. The experimenters wanted to know, is there statistical difference between these two groups of people? The question they were trying to answer was, uh, did the people who believe that sex before marriage is wrong, did they hold fast to those convictions? What they found among 18 to 23-year-old males, college-educated, unmarried, there's no statistical difference. Those raised believing it was wrong, only 28% of them held fast to those convictions, didn't have sex. Uh, within the other group who taught, you know, do whatever you want, uh, the number is 23%. So there's 5% in that number of people, there's no statistical difference. See, our Bible tells us one thing, that sex is a good gift from God, just reserved for a man and his wife. Yet culture tells us something else, and the vast majority of culture believes what they feel. I could have given you a dozen other examples where you say, well, I believe in Christianity. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the promise of salvation. But I just feel like he probably meant something different than what he said in Scripture. That was a long time ago. I'm not hurting anybody. In those moments, you've succumbed. You're bowing to the image. Your feeling about God is probably uh, wrong and irrelevant. The Bible reveals to us who God is and who we are, not our feelings. So looking back at our passage, our boys in the story, they could have made an excuse about feelings. They could have said, oh, God knows my heart. You know, he'll forgive me if we just bow this one time. What's this, what's this going to hurt? I'm not going to hurt anybody by bowing. Uh, you know, well, maybe we just bow but not actually worship the idol. You know, we bow, but we're praying to our God. Nobody's going to know if we're praying to our God, but we're just bowing, you know. But, uh, maybe we just uh, pretend like we found a penny. Like, oh, when the music sounds, I'll just bend down. Like, oh, a penny. And, and, oh, coincidental, everybody else is bowing down, but we just found it. Maybe they all found pennies. Who knows? Uh, Isn't it funny how we have these conversations with ourselves to justify our feelings? Oh, we're married in our heart. 
oh, I, I have other stuff happening. God knows, you know, I'll start serving when my kids get older. Uh, t- I can't quite do 10% uh, on a tithe. I'll, I'll wait until I can get there. I tithe in other ways, you know, serving and whatever. We've been so trained by our culture to look as much like the world as we can, yet still call ourselves Christian, but that was never God's intention. You know, God was very exclusive with the religion he set up. Not about who could believe, just about what to believe. Jesus said, I'm the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've come so you can have fullness of life. Jot this down. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. That's because fear is a powerful motivator. So if you don't stand for something out of fear, you will succumb to whatever you're afraid of. Pay close attention to what the guys are really saying when they tell Nebuchadnezzar they won't worship his idol. Nebi says, bow or burn. They say, bro, we'll take option C, where uh, we don't bow, but we also don't burn because God will rescue us. And even if he doesn't, circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do. And even if he doesn't, we still won't serve your idol. Do you see what they're saying? They're saying, we serve and love God for himself, not for what we can get out of him. Even if he doesn't save us, we're not serving him for that reason. We're serving him for him. We trust God for God. We love and, and, and cherish him even if he won't rescue us. They're saying we trust God, period. Not God plus, not God plus life, not God plus money, not God plus relationships. We trust God. We obey God simply because he's worth it. In fairness, isn't this what everybody in life is looking for? To be loved for who they are? You know, like me for me. Not because I look like Tyson Beckford with the charm of Robert Redford. Just like me for me, you know? It's a great song. Check it out. Uh, But you want to be loved for yourself. You don't want to be loved for your money. You don't want to be loved for your looks because on some level, you know your money and your looks, they're going to disappear. So you want your hope when somebody says, I love you for you, and you want to, to believe them. And you want to give them everything you have. And well, if we're made in God's image, then why should God be any different? He's not. He wants you to love him for him. So when we trust God for God, not for what he can give us, suddenly we're free from the bondage of anxiety because we know to live as Christ and to die as gain. We're not afraid of anything. We don't have irrational thoughts because we understand our rational God. You can fill this in on your notes. Hot enough flames can melt even the strongest of chains. Uh, Hot enough flames will burn through the strongest of chains. God brought somebody here this morning just to hear that whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going through, whatever you're bound up by, God is with you. God is for you. You need to know that God will help you get through your burning furnace. It's worth pointing out here in our story that fire had to come before the freedom uh, the, the, the challenging part had to come before the salvation part. Daniel makes a point to tell us that Nebuchadnezzar chose strong, capable soldiers, the strongest he could find, to tie up these willing participants. But don't you think that's kind of odd? Like these guys were willing to go into the fire. 
because they didn't think the fire was going to hurt them. And even if it did, they were willing to, and Nebuchadnezzar was like, no, tie those fools up. We're going to throw them in there. Uh, that's because Jesus might change your condition, but he'll probably leave you in circumstance in order to change the condition. I'll say it this way. You will feel Jesus Christ walking with you in your furnace to the degree you understand that Jesus Christ was thrown into the ultimate furnace for you. If you remember that Jesus was thrown into the ultimate furnace for you, you will find that these uh, other furnaces are smaller and cooler, and you just want to be walking around because Jesus is in there with you. I like how Nebuchadnezzar describes Jesus. The, the fourth man looks like a god. He looks like a son of the gods. I wonder what that looked like. I can tell you what it didn't look like. It didn't look like the picture of Jesus I saw growing up. You know, it didn't look like feathered hair Jesus and the uh, Jesus meek and mild with the lamb around his shoulders and smiling and, and purple sash Jesus. He can't love the chains off of anybody, you know. Uh, all ways to heaven, Jesus. Like, he can't find a map to the fire extinguisher because it's all very confusing. And now, this is savage Jesus. Like, coming in and ripping chains off people. Uh, this is like Wolverine Jesus. Like, coming in, ching! Oh, is that a problem, guy? Like, didn't You know, this is, this is Rambo Jesus, all sweaty, fully automatic, 50 caliber, wrecking fools Jesus. Like, coming Coming in and tearing chains up. Jesus. I love what Isaiah 43 says. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be there. When you walk through the fire, hello, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame evil kindle upon you, for I am the Lord your God, I will be with you. Who else is glad our God doesn't just leave us to fend for ourselves? That if we're in the fire, God is walking in there through us. Uh, God is in our lives. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who else is glad irrational anxiety can't hold up to our rational God? God. See, the hotter the fire, the quicker the chains break. Uh, Even big things seem small depending on your perspective. Brought a picture that might help you. This is in Bolivia on on your left. Uh, Tiny people on your right... Well, that's me depending on your perspective. Holding hands with, you know, 150 foot tall Jesus. Same thing's true in your life. It's small when you put it in perspective to how big our God is. So as we close, I want to give you a couple things to ask yourself because what I find so amazing about this story is, is how these three Jewish boys turned this entire event on its head and got people focused on God, even if it was just for a few moments. You know, here was this great festivity. Everyone was in unity and harmony. Everyone's getting along, worshiping the golden image. And then these three guys have to come along and rain on everybody's parade, spoil everybody's fun and say, no, we're not going to bow. Here's what I want you to hear me say. It's amazing what one godly man or one godly woman can do with the power of God. One person standing up for what they believe in can make a difference in a classroom. It can make a difference in school for the entire school. It can make a difference in the workplace or on the job site. It can make a difference in the office building, in the home, in the neighborhood. One 
person standing for their convictions can lead an entire crusade to Christ. So if you want to flip the switch on your irrational anxiety, then maybe you should do what's irrational in the world's eyes. Like, what if you did serve on a Sunday? That seems irrational. People would take notice of that. How come you're not mowing the lawn on Sunday morning? Oh, I've got to get up at 6 and go help our church set up. Well, well how come, you know, you're, you're gone? Every, like, why aren't you at the lake anymore? Oh, I found that I could go to the lake after church, and the water was just as cold, and skiing was just as good. But I had more fun because I was celebrating Jesus right before I came. Uh, you know, do what's irrational in the world. Why would you give 10% of your income away? That's absurd. Uh, oh, because... You know, we have this crazy stuff happening in the world where we're like planting churches in Bolivia and we're impacting people. Like we've seen 80 some salvations in Park City, you know, in, in less than five years. I mean, I just felt like, you know, God could use my money here and then he'd bless me over here. And, you know, I just was like trying it out and see what happened. And God's never let me down yet. You know, uh, do what's irrational. In the, why would you give up a night a week? to get in a group of people that you just met to talk about the Bible. I just found that life change happens in in circles, not rows. You know, an hour on Sunday hadn't changed my life, but I'll tell you what had, getting with people who love me and care for me and want to see the best for me. Um, So I'm just going to do what's irrational in the world's eyes because I serve a rational God. Like, what if our rational God had some simple systems built into our world that could lead you to ultimate joy? Standing for God is always better than bowing down before men, but it's always harder. That's because motivation in the world is fear. It's always easier to follow your fear. It's always harder to follow God, but it's rational. Fear is irrational. God is love. His motivation for you is because He loves you and cares for you. And He sent His Son to this earth to die for you. That's how much He wanted to prove to you that He loves you and cares for you. And is after your fullness of joy. Why would He sacrifice His Son if He didn't have what's best for you in mind? Let's pray. God, again, we're so thankful for the opportunity to come and gather in this place to hear from your word. We believe that you do have what's best for us in mind. We do believe in your power. We do believe you've developed simple systems for us to follow that can lead to fullness of joy. God, I'm just asking for you to do what you can only do and open up our hearts to the idea of what do our next steps need to be. Help us understand how we can follow you more closely whether that be through giving or whether that be through serving or getting in a group or you know, just trying to find out more about who you are through Bible study and prayer. Whatever it is, God, I just ask you to, to help encourage each person here this morning to, to understand that you have their joy in mind and you want to help them take next steps, transform them in one degree of glory to the next. God, we know that this starts by understanding the good news of free salvation through your son Jesus, that we can't do anything to earn it. If you're here this morning, I want to give you a chance to respond to this gospel message, uh, to give your life to God, to to allow Jesus to step into this fire that you're in right now. Uh, He wants to be with you in it. I want to give you a chance to to acknowledge that you need Jesus in your life. So I'd invite you to pray a prayer with me, not because there's magic in the prayer, but because God said if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. 
And I don't want you leaving this place with the uh, wondering, am I saved? I want you leaving knowing that God is for you. And so I just ask you to say in your heart, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I haven't lived the way you want me to. I've searched other places, but I've been found wanting. Something is missing in my life. I know it's you. God, save me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he makes me new. Help me serve you. I give you my life. God, I thank you for all those new lives that prayed that prayer with you. God, I thank you for all the lives represented here. Again, I just ask you to encourage us, walk with us in our fires, God. Uh, lead us to the path of fullness and joy. We know that redeeming is found in the fire. Freedom is found in the fire. Help us with that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.